when the people of God are passionate and longing about a relationship with Him, He will never abandon us and never leave us. And we look forward to where He is taking us. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. As you know, we are concluding, Richard will be concluding the series on radical discipleship today. And so I invite you to come with me to the New Testament, to the letter to the Philippians from the Apostle Paul. So join me as we read together beginning at verse 4 of chapter 3. And listen to the scriptures for God's grace and mercy and peace to the Philippians and also to us. He begins, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Whenever you come across a new experience that you haven't encountered before, Sometimes those experiences will live in your memory for decades later. And over the last seven or eight Sunday mornings, as we have looked at a number of characters in the Scripture, some of them well-known, some of them less well-known, as each one has engaged with the, and had an encounter themselves with God, it has shaped who they've become. During this series, some of you who have been with us for the last eight or ten Sundays know that we've looked at Mary and Matthew and Nathaniel and Peter. We have looked at Sarah and Abraham. 
And in fact, this morning, in your worship folder, you have a bookmark. Can you take that out for just a second? And this past week, we deliberately designed it this way so that you could take it with you this morning, keep it in your Bible as a memento of all that we've learned over these past eight or nine Sundays together. It's been a very encouraging uh, series of studies, and folks have come to me and said, thank you, I've really appreciated all that we've been learning. But I'm also conscious that if I asked you today who was the first person we studied and what lesson did you take away, I would be hard pushed to tell you, and I guess you might be as well. So we decided that a bookmark with some of the major lessons underneath of the characters and the passage we studied would be a helpful reminder. For example, right at the top there, you have Mary and Martha. The story of Mary and Martha, of course, as you will remember, is that when Jesus comes to their home, and Martha sits quietly at the feet of Christ, listening, learning, growing in her faith, and Martha was busy running around. And we said that Sunday that one of the cardinal lessons was this, that from time to time, we need to stop and rest and focus on being rather than doing. That's why your prayer this morning before our Bible study, or before this, uh, our sermon study, in fact, was, be still and know that I am God. There's a whole series of other lessons there for you to take away and remember. Because one of the things we've discovered in this series is that the folks we have looked at started out as ordinary, average, everyday kind of people. But when God impacted their lives, they were changed forever. And this morning, we're going to see that in this final study in the Apostle Paul. And as Paul writes Philippians, most of you will remember that he's writing from a Roman prison cell. There are a series of epistles, three or four of them in the New Testament, called the prison epistles. Apostle Paul has been arrested. He has been incarcerated, was sent to Rome. He's he's awaiting trial before Caesar. And rather than sit back and almost lick his own wounds, he does the opposite. Paul is busy writing to the church at Philippi because he knows them and loves them and wants to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. And rather than sitting back having a pity party or woe is me, he encourages others. And that's exactly what we see in chapters 3 and 4 of this epistle. As we come to chapter 3, remember what Paul is writing. He's come towards the end of his life. He's looking back over his life, and he's writing to the church at Philippi to encourage them. And so we break in at verse 4 when he writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And what Paul is saying is this. He's writing to the church at Philippi and in many ways to us today and saying this. If you have had a religious upbringing, and he is saying, I had one as well. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. The priests came from the tribe of Benjamin. I would go to the synagogue on a Sunday, and when in Jerusalem, we would go and sacrifice in the temple. Paul is saying, I knew my Old Testament inside out, back to front. I have memorized whole portions of the Psalms and the prophets and the law. 
in terms of being righteous, in terms of my living, and I am, and am I being obedient to the Old Testament commands and the law? He said, absolutely, absolutely. But he then goes on to say this, it was not enough. It was good. It was helpful. It was healthy. But the law in the Old Testament is there to point us to someone else, Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And that's what he's saying. Notice how he finishes that. He goes on, verse 7, but whatever was to my prophet, my religious upbringing, all of my years of seminary training, Paul was capable of writing and speaking in five languages. He had a first-class mind. Whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he adds, in fact, I consider them rubbish compared to knowing Him. What Paul is saying there is this, that for all my years of religious observance, religious upbringing, my self-imposed righteousness, it amounted to nothing compared to my relationship with Christ. And when Paul writes a little of his background and his experience, he then goes a step further. And notice what he writes next. He says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. And then he goes on, verse 10, and he says one of the most startling phrases anywhere in the New Testament. And he writes, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering. Now, some of you are there already this morning. In your own minds, you have reached the point that I'm hoping to take you, and you're already saying, now, Richard, hold on a second. This is the apostle Paul. He's in prison for his faith. He wrote more New Testament epistles than anyone else. And how come he then writes, I want to know Christ? Doesn't he already know him? Didn't he meet him on the road to Damascus? What is, what is he talking about here? I want to know Christ. Has he, over the last few weeks and months, as he's been incarcerated in Rome, has he backslidden from his faith? Is this Paul saying, I want to know Christ again? Has he somehow drifted from the things of God and is coming in repentance? Are these the words of a young, immature Christian who wants to go back to those heady days when he first knew the Lord? Is that what's going on here? No. What Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, even at this advanced age in my Christian life, and as I look back over all of those mountaintop experiences of the road to Damascus, or being led by the Holy Spirit, of founding the church in Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica, Paul had a greater 
influence and impact on the modern world than anyone else in his day, than anyone else. But he also recognizes this, that when he writes, I want to know Christ, he is freely confessing this, that there are areas in his life where he doesn't know Christ at the level he wants to know him. And what he is saying is this, there is more to my experience with him than I am currently aware of, and I want to know him in a fuller, deeper, richer way. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am not fully sanctified and therefore, I am not fully satisfied. Now, hold that picture in your mind, and allow me to present another picture. And it's this, that from time to time, we find ourselves drifting to complacency and indifference. And the strange thing is this, that complacency and indifference is much easier to find yourself falling into if you are in a church where the gospel is held high, where worship is a priority, where prayer is important. When you go to a Bible study, people will open up the Word of God together, and some of them will talk of answered prayer of forgiven sin, of God leading and guiding and directing them. And they have an appetite and a passion for the things of God. And you see it and feel it and think, if only I was like them. But the bizarre thing is this, that when others around you are like that, it is easy for you to slip into neutral and just coast for a while. Because the spotlight's not on you. You don't have to speak up at your men's group or when you gather on a Thursday morning at your ladies' Bible study and you're going through the Beatitudes. Whoever speaks up, that's where the attention is, and you can sit back. You can hide in numbers. And complacency and indifference is so easy to find yourself slipping into. Does that describe you this morning? Has God been challenging you in recent weeks and months and drawing you into a deeper relationship with Himself, and you have been backing off? You have been justifying in your own mind that you go to church, that you enjoy studying the Bible, that you enjoy times of praise and prayer? But that's not what He's asking you. So let me probe a little deeper. Having asked you at the beginning of our study this morning, do you know him? Let me go a little further. Are you this morning willing to step up and say, I long to know him more? I want to go to that deeper place. I want to be able to say, the past is firmly behind me. And I long to go to that place of intimacy and sweet fellowship and wonder and rest in the majesty and splendor of God Himself. Is that you this morning? And notice what Paul says, this one thing I do, 
forgetting that which is behind, I now press on. I now press on. And I wonder this morning if incidents in the past have been holding you back. You've been hurt by someone, wounded by a parent or a school teacher who once told you you were nothing and would amount to nothing. And all these years later, you still go back to that event, living in the past, focusing back then. And allow me to say this as gently and as pastorally as I possibly can, that when God takes us calls us to Himself, and He shapes and refines and fashions us. He is interested in one thing, who you are becoming and where you are going. The past is the past. You learn from it, but you cannot live there, and you should never allow it to determine your identity and who you are. This one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I now press on. I now press on. That's radical discipleship. That's when the rubber meets the road. Now, hold that picture in your mind, and allow me, please, to begin to apply the lessons we've learned this morning in a contemporary scenario. Each one of us will remember that over the last couple of weeks in the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, untold violence was perpetrated on that congregation in the midst of a prayer meeting and Bible study after another, after another, the alleged perpetrator stood up and killed nine people. Can you imagine the horrors that they went through? Can you begin to feel the wound and the pain, the overwhelming sadness, and the mind-numbing grief of all that took place? And two things have struck me since then. What has taken place, but also what has not taken place. And what has not taken place has not been covered by the mass media. It may have been mentioned here and there, but not by much from what I've seen. And what didn't happen was this. There were no protests in the street in Charleston. No cars were set on fire. No shops were looted. No police officers were injured. No emergency personnel were turned upon. And that's what didn't happen. And what did happen was this, that the following Sunday evening, 10,000 people from all over the district gathered on the bridge outside of Charleston to show unity of strength and purpose. And hymns were sung, and prayers were said, and grace, and faith, and forgiveness, and mercy were on display. When the young man was arranged, 
to stand before the family. And the family members were asked during that arraignment if they wished to say something. And they talked of Christ. And they talked of the impact He had had in their lives. And they wished that He would come to know their Savior as they knew them. That is radical discipleship. When it really mattered the most, when their back was up against the wall, when their lives were in bits before them, turned to ashes at their feet, they were able to stand for Him and talk of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy and prayer and faith. That's what it means to know Christ in that deeper, fuller, richer way. At the beginning this morning, I started with the illustration of people watching. And when you watched those family members in Charleston, you knew that they were walking with Christ. There was no fabrication. There was no kid on. There was no performing for the cameras. Real, radical discipleship was on display. Over this same period, the Supreme Court ruled on same-sex marriage. And I wanted to close this morning by focusing on that for the remaining couple of minutes. And rather than do it from memory, allow me please to read what I want to say. Because if I do it from memory, I will certainly miss some things out. It's too important for that. On June the 26th, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that all states must license marriage between two people of the same sex and recognize a marriage between two people of the same sex when their marriage was lawfully licensed and performed out of state. Despite this change, we at First Presbyterian, along with millions of others across the nation, will continue to affirm the historic position of the Christian church, that God has ordained marriage between one man and one woman. By affirming this position, we stand firmly under the authority of Holy Scripture in continuity with 2,000 years of historical Christian teaching and in accord with the vast majority of Christians around the world. Therefore, it is clear that while the Supreme Court may be changing the civil definition of marriage, the court has no authority over holy matrimony and the church's blessing of a union between a husband and a wife. The Bible teaches that marriage is the lifelong exclusive union of one man and one woman. While at times we experience failure in realizing that vision, it is nevertheless the standard we profess and toward which we strive. We believe that marriage, like all areas of life, can be redeemed, and that by God's grace all married people can be enabled to live into its unique calling. The full consequence of the Supreme Court's cultural and legal innovation have yet to be seen and will be tested over the course of time. 
It is our strong belief, however, that this same Constitution, to which the court has appealed, must protect the rights of all people to the free exercise of their religion. In the light of this conviction, we at First Presbyterian will faithfully conduct our ministry in accordance with our beliefs, trusting that this freedom will be upheld. Now, how do we bring all of that together this morning? Well, allow me to suggest this. We, with the Apostle Paul, will say this, this one thing we do, forgetting all that is behind, we now press on. We do not press on alone. On this Sunday, this 5th of July, we say with one voice, we the people hold these truths to be self-evident, and we the people will press on. By the grace of God, we will press on. We are not perfect people. We often fail as individuals. Sometimes, as a church in years gone by, we have failed. But nonetheless, we will press on. We recognize that we are one nation under God, and we will therefore press on. For we know and recognize that when we are in need of daily grace, daily grace will be forthcoming. And when we are in need of sudden grace, sudden grace will be forthcoming. And when we are in need of overwhelming grace, He has promised His radical disciples that overwhelming grace will be forthcoming. Because we know what it means to be able to say, that whatever was to our profit, we now consider it loss. And what is more, we consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom we gladly lose all things. Amen. Amen. When the people of God When the people of God are passionate and longing about a relationship with Him, He will never abandon us and never leave us, and we look forward to where He is taking us. Let's pray together. Father, what a remarkable passage of Scripture we have studied this morning. And we freely recognize that there are times in our life when we have sinned against you. And we ask that you will forgive us. Forgive us for those deep and hidden sins that we wrestle with. And plant within us, please, an overwhelming, passionate desire to know you in that fuller, deeper, richer sense. Strengthen us. Enable us by your grace for we press on. 
Father, hear our prayers as we bring them to you in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.